0: reading from the book of Daniel in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar had dreams his, his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him then the king commanded that the magicians and the enchanters the sorcerers and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams so they came in and stood before the king and the king said to them I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know that dream then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not, know, do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show me the dream and its interpretation... You shall receive from me gifts and rewards in great honor, and therefore show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asked is difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his home and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Nazareth, his companions, and told them to seek the mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows that it is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed, to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Ariok brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The word of the Lord.
1: Well, again, good morning. Pride or peace? which would you choose, pride or peace? Please join me in a brief word of prayer before we dive into this passage together. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, have you ever encountered the foolishness of pride? He's considered one of the most influential sports figures of all time. Named Sportsman of the Century by Sports Illustrated, as well as Sports Personality of the Century by the BBC. Cassius Clay Jr., also known as was the heavyweight boxing champion of the world for much of the 1960s and 1970s. Famous for his temperament, outside of the ring as much as in the ring, Ali demonstrated a loud, uninhibited, and some might even say prideful, personality during his lifetime. Such is why the following story is both hilarious and believable, whether it actually happened or not. So here's how the story's been told. One day, Ali was flying on an airplane when the aircraft he was on hit some foul weather and started experiencing moderate turbulence. Accordingly, the pilot asked all the passengers to buckle their seatbelts. At this point, as you might imagine, some people began to uh, pray and others began to panic. However, all the passengers complied with the captain's orders with the exception of one individual. Muhammad Ali When the flight attendant saw the non-compliance and asked the champ to buckle his seatbelt Ali reportedly responded by saying quote Superman don't need no seatbelt <laughs> to which the flight attendant fast on her feet said back to Ali Superman don't need no airplane either <laughs> Pride friends it's everywhere one definition of pride says it is a high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority, whether as cherished in the mind or as displayed in bearing, conduct, etc. Pride, it's, it's part of the human condition. It puffs us up and makes us feel invincible and oh so special, and it leads to great falls as we've seen throughout history. Again, let me ask you have you ever encountered Counter the foolishness of pride before, be it in your life or in the life of others. As we continue today in our series in uh, the book of Daniel, today we're going to be examining the topic of pride and how God calls each of us to take a different posture of the heart, if you will, a different path. And so with that introduction, here's the big idea we'll see from Daniel chapter 2 this morning. Terror awaits those who trust in their own power. Peace and wisdom come to those who trust in the Lord. Terror awaits those who trust in their own power. Peace and wisdom come to those who trust in the Lord. And we'll break this down through two points just as it's written, so let's dive into God's word together. Point one, terror awaits those who trust in their own power. As Butch shared, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled. His his sleep left him. Then the king commanded the magicians, the enchanters, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to the king to tell him his dreams. So they came in, they stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is now troubled because of the dream. And then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. "'Tell your servants the dream, "'and we'll show you the interpretation.' "'The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, "'The word from me is firm. "'If you do not make known to me the dream "'and its interpretations, "'you shall be torn limb from limb, "'and your houses shall be laid in ruins. "'But if you show the dream and its interpretation, "'you'll receive gifts and rewards and great honor. "'Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation.' And dropping down to verse 11, we then read The Chaldeans answered, The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Let's stop there. Allow me to provide some background information about our text and our book in general. First, the author of the book of Daniel is a young man named Daniel. Writing in the sixth century BC, Daniel and other um, figures of notoriety from the land of Judah have been exiled to the land of Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar after the Babylonians defeated the Israelites. In following victory after victory after victory, including over the Assyrian Empire and pushing back the Egyptians, stopping them at the Euphrates River, Nebuchadnezzar, by the time of this book, has become the most powerful king in the universe in what theologians believe was the age of 30, approximately 30 years old. Everything, listen, everything and everyone revolved by that time around this man. And we know this both from the Bible and historical accounts. Thus, you might be led to believe that Nebuchadnezzar was the happiest man in the world by the time this book was written. But as we see in chapter two, such was far from the case. In fact, in our passage today, we read that Nebuchadnezzar was a tortured individual because he had had disturbing dreams, which led to a disturbed spirit, which led to disturbed sleep. And if you deal with disturbed sleep in your life, it can be terrible. In other words, this king who had everything, all the power, money, and fame one could acquire, effectively had Nothing in that his life was spiraling and spiraling and going out of control physically, mentally, emotionally, and even spiritually. You see, even in the ancient of days, it turns out, for a person to have freedom and joy, they needed something or someone more. So what does this great king Nebuchadnezzar do in his crisis? Well, he does what all influential people, all people of means do when they hit crisis He called his advisors, his consultants, and his doctors. That's what he did. He leveraged his, we like to say, network. Nebuchadnezzar leveraged his network. And specifically, we read that he summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, and said, tell me my dream and what it means. Now, let me me pause here and say this sounds kind of odd, right? Is this like Harry Potter stuff? Is this like Lord of the Rings stuff? Sounds kind of wonky, Pastor. But listen, guys, back in the day, pagan leaders did this. They turned to people like this. The nations back in Nebuchadnezzar's day not only trained people in enchantment and divination and the such, they actually even produced huge works, voluminous works, that much like we would study uh, economics or literature when we go to college, These young leaders would study this literature to know how to interpret dreams. Now regarding this reality, I found something, it's tangential, but I think fascinating. If we bridge this to the New Testament, what if I told you that the magi who came to see Jesus in Matthew chapter 2, celebrating his messianic arrival, likely were descendants from this very group? Miles, what if I told you magi, in fact, is short for? You got it. You see, all history points to Jesus. We'll share more about that later. Back to our text. So this great king, he's in angst. He calls his advisors, the magicians, etc., And he asks them, tell me my dream, interpret my dream. And so the question is, are they able to do this? Are they able to interpret his dream and foretell the future? And we read that they're not. Thus, the king's power is not enough to satisfy, and the advisor's knowledge is not enough to satisfy. Again, it begs us realize that there's got to be more. So then, in the face of this disappointment, what do we see Nebuchadnezzar do? Well, he launches into a rage, a violent fit. Demanding that not only the group in front of him, but all of his advisors across all of Babylon be slaughtered. Can you imagine this message going out? Can you imagine a nation gripped by narcissism in pride, in egotistical disorder? Hmm. One fellowship this week, I was reminded of the story of narcissists. You see, in Greek mythology, Narcissus was a handsome young man, a hunter, who was known to be the most captivating person, man or woman, in the entire world. One day in the forest, Narcissus caught sight of his own reflection in a pond and he became uh, amazed by it, even addicted to it. He fell in love with himself, his image, his, his identity, we're told. Consequently, he refused to eat or sleep. He just... Became consumed with himself and not caring about anyone else. Soon, the story continues, the young man began to waste away until finally the unthinkable happened. Narcissus, consumed with himself in his reflection, toppled into the water and drowned. Oh, the danger of pride. Pride can not only harm us and others, it can kill us. You see, trying to build our lives and our own skin through our own devices, be it personal beauty, achievements, intellect, networking, or some other means, will not work. It will only lead to depression, or even in Nebuchadnezzar's case, rage. Man is not only not meant to worship himself, man's also not meant to supremely rely on himself. No, that's not how we're wired. There must be more. This leads us to point two. Peace and wisdom come to those who trust in the Lord. Enter young Daniel. Theologians this week I read believe he was around 18 years old. He was a young dude, yet God called him to serve him. Beginning with verse 13, we read, So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Ariok, Why is this decree of the king so urgent? And then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel Went in and requested the king to appoint a point in time that he might show the interpretation to the king. And then Daniel went to his house. He made the matter known to his buddies, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and we learn this, this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They were given new names in Babylon. He he made this news known to his buddies and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So friends, to really appreciate this text, and frankly, to really appreciate all of God's sovereign plan in history, we need to understand irony. We need to see the irony. First, first, in Daniel chapter one, Daniel and his friends are made exiles. They're, they're made prisoners of war. They have no power or so it seems. In total contrast, meanwhile, in Daniel chapter one, Nebuchadnezzar has all the power or so he thinks. He's the conquering king. He thinks he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. Now flip the page to Daniel, Daniel chapter two and who is tortured enraging and sick, the powerful king. He's maybe not sick physically, but he's definitely sick spiritually. He's spiraling, believing that doom is in his path. Meanwhile, enter Daniel. And here in chapter two, Daniel, a prisoner of war, facing horrible circumstances, a certain death sentence is able to go home Draw together as friends and do what? Pray. And out of prayer, what do they experience? Catch it peace. This surrender, this submission, this cry out to God grants them peace. I don't know if you caught it, but if you have a physical Bible, look at verse 19. It's the tell. Using poker language, it's the tell. After encouraging his friends to join him and crying out to God for mercy, we read, quote, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. In other words, unlike King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, in the face of doom and gloom, was able to sleep. This young man was able to sleep. Well, how is this possible, Pastor? Well, here's how. In the words of theologian Rodney Stortz, though we do not know what the future holds, we know who holds the future and we can trust him. Though we do not know what the future holds, we know who holds the future and we can trust him. That's what Christians believe and that's what Daniel leaned into in this moment of crisis. Though this man, young man, had absolutely nothing, worldly speaking, in truth, Daniel had everything because he had God and God had him. Peace, you see, comes to those who trust in the Lord. The mom or dad, husband, wife, single person who drops to their knees and says, Lord, I need you. But not just peace, wisdom. Wisdom also comes to those who trust in the Lord. After receiving the vision, Daniel proclaims, and some people, some theologians believe he sang this. I'm not gonna sing it. I'm just gonna read it. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings, sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to the king to us, excuse me, the King's matter. I love this quote from the late Charles Spurgeon: "You will never know the fullness of Christ until you know the emptiness of everything but Christ." Daniel, unlike Nebuchadnezzar, knew what faith meant, knew what surrender meant, knew what emptiness meant. And to trust in the Lord. An exile, a POW, a slave. He had absolutely nothing. But he had absolutely everything because he had the Lord. Moreover, as we'll see in the coming weeks, as Drew comes up next week, his life will turn out fine. In fact, it'll turn out more than fine, Davis. It will ripple throughout eternity. Again, how is this possible? It's possible because he had the Lord So, the question we need to stop and ask ourselves this morning is Do you? Do I? Do we have the Lord? Friends, is it to God or to ourselves or to our advisors that we turn when life gets difficult, when life goes off the rails? When our kids get sick, when our marriages begin to fail, when our dreams get dashed, when we get that horrible diagnosis, when that ache keeps us up all night in the wee, thick, heavy hours of the night, to whom do we reach? Is it our phone, is it a friend, or is it first to the Lord? To whom do we cry out to when life goes off the rails? For Daniel, it was the Lord. And this brings us all the way back to our big idea, see, terror awaits those who trust in their own power, and yet peace and wisdom come to those who trust in the Lord. One Fellowship Daniel discovered this. And let me get personal. My parents did too. Last story. I'm going to out myself. The year was 1977, and I was only a few months old. Some of you now are thinking, wow, he's much older than I thought. And others are thinking, he's so much younger than I thought. The year was 1977. I was only a few months old. And out of nowhere, my brother Chris, three years my elder, started experiencing extreme pain in his groin area as a toddler. Not knowing what to do, my mom took him to the local board-certified pediatrician. Concerned, this woman immediately sent my brother to a lab. It's there at the local lab that they discovered my brother's white blood cell count had spiked, had gone through the roof. In other words, it looked like Chris might have the early signs of leukemia. Shocked and desperate, my mom did the only thing she knew to do at the time. She dropped to her knees and prayed. She went to our little church, to the chapel, and she prayed. And she prayed and prayed, asking for the Lord's intervention and wisdom. And believe it or not, it came. She was directed to a certain individual who directed her to another individual. And somehow, my parents shortly thereafter ended up at All Saints Hospital in St. Petersburg, Florida, in front of the best pediatric oncologist in the state, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Barbosa. And so they drive over to St. Pete and they're waiting to see this man, the specialist. And they told me, again, we did the only thing we knew to do at that point. We, we prayed and we cried and we prayed and we cried and we prayed. Finally, we were able to see the doctor and he sent us for more lab work for my brother, Chris, for their son. And guess what, one fellowship. Chris's white blood cell counts by that point had somehow miraculously normalized and the doctor could not provide my parents any medical explanation for this turn of events. So they got in their car crying and they drove back to the center of the universe, Lake Wales, Florida. Amazed at the goodness of God further grateful for their relationship with Jesus. Allow me to end right here, talking about Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. This is what actually this passage and this whole book is all about. In the Bible, not just in Daniel, but elsewhere, peace and wisdom, listen friends, peace and wisdom are not associated with the acquisition of information, but the gift of a relationship. Did you know that? Let me repeat that. Because we have a lot of type A's, including myself in here. In the Bible, peace and wisdom are not associated with the acquisition of information, but the gift of a relationship. Peace and wisdom don't point to something to know, but someone to know. That's what we see in the Bible. Jesus himself said, peace, I leave you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And what do we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 from the Apostle Paul? Where is the one who is wise? For the Jews ask for signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let me repeat that. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. In other words, peace and wisdom are found in Jesus. Peace and wisdom come by way of a relationship with Jesus. Daniel, you see, was but a foreshadowing of what or who was to come. Jesus. On behalf of a raging and dysfunctional world, God would send the ultimate servant not only to face a death penalty, but endure a death penalty to set us free. Jesus. It's all about a relationship with Jesus. Do you, right now, as you're sitting here, as you leave today, have a relationship with Jesus? Friend, do you need help today? Cry out to Jesus. Do you need hope today? Cry out to Jesus. Do you need forgiveness today? Cry out to Jesus. Do you need peace today? Cry out to Jesus. Do you need wisdom today? Cry out to Jesus. Do you need deliverance today? Cry out to Jesus. Do you need love today? Do you know you are love today? How do we know? Jesus. Cry out to Jesus, no matter what you are facing. Cry out to Jesus. Lean into that relationship. None of your circumstances, none of these other things. Lean into Him today. Terror awaits those who trust in their own devices and their own power. Peace and wisdom come to those who trust in the Lord. It might not be framed out and framed up the way you would have it framed out and framed up. But Daniel, we see, he shows us that we can trust in the Lord. So let's do that today. Let's put all of our trust in the Lord, in Jesus today. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. It's such a contrast between the way of the world and those who, who, who surrender to you. Thank you for the mom and dad, the husband and wife, the, the single person, the friend who drops to their knees and cries out to you. Would you hear our cries for mercy like Daniel this morning? and give us your peace. Give us your wisdom. If someone in here has never placed their trust in the Lord, I'm gonna invite you to just say a sinner's prayer. Jesus, I acknowledge my need for you. I confess it. I confess my sins, my waywardness, my self-trust, my self-absorption. Forgive me and set me free. Not only be my savior, but be my Lord, so I can walk like Daniel in the days to come. And all God's people said,